Last week we began a series, just a short series for three weeks, talking about what it means to be a practical atheist. Um, Craig Rochelle wrote a book, he's pastor of Life Church, it's called Christian Atheist, and if you want to know more information about this or read further, I encourage you to pick up the copy of that book, or uh, as I did, download it to your iPad. So, so whatever you, you do with that as well. Uh, it's important. Uh, the thing, the definition of a practical atheist is someone who believes in God but lives as if he doesn't exist. And I shared with you that the latest Gallup poll says that 94% of Americans said that they believe in uh, or claim they believe in God or some universal spirit. But at the same time, while 94% of Americans say that, it's obvious that 94% of Americans do not live as if he exists or is important to them. Um, Last week, we talked about the reality of those who claim to believe in God, but they don't fear him. They don't have a, a reverence, an awe of God, a healthy fear of God, as we talked about what that means from Scripture. Today, I want to talk to you about those who claim to believe in God, uh, but they say, I just don't want to go too far. I believe in God, but I don't want to go overboard with God. I want to be one of those radical, you know, kind of crazy people, you know, uh, who follows God. Because it's all right, we believe, to believe in a God, but it, and it's acceptable, uh, but we don't want to be a fanatic. And we want to talk today about what Jesus says about how far we should go in our relationship with God. And so uh, let me just bring back uh, the couple of verses we talked about last week. First, number one was Titus chapter 1, verse 16, which says this. He was saying, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. And out of that comes, because of that, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And then another verse that's similar to that, in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, The Lord says, These people come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They talk, talk about the God talk, but their hearts and their actions are not anywhere near me. Now today what I want to do is I want to focus on a passage of Scripture that's in the New Testament, the very last book of the New Testament called Revelation. And I want us to turn to chapter 3, if you have your Bible this morning. We're going to look at a couple of passages there. And it's interesting in, in Revelation, the first part of Revelation, uh, which is kind of a, an interesting book because it's uh, about the future, but it's also talking about uh, judgment as well. Uh, Jesus was talking to some several different churches. Matter of fact, he talks to seven different churches. And six of the churches he talked to, he at least had something good to say about them before he corrected them about the issues that were going on. The one church that he talked about in Revelation that he had nothing good to say about was in a place called Laodicea. Laodicea was an interesting place because um, it was a phenomenally wealthy city. And matter of fact, 34, uh, 35 years before the scripture was written about this in Revelation, the city had gone through a tremendous earthquake where uh, the, most of the city had been leveled. But because of the incredible wealth that the people had, they were able to rebuild the city really quickly. And it was, a you know, just a really glitzy kind of, I kind of don't even imagine it kind of like the Las Vegas Strip. You know, it had everything. It had, you know, lights. I don't know if it had lights back then. But, you know, it had all the really cool places. It had big stadiums. It just, the history describes it as a place that was just very, very over the top almost in what it had. It had a lot of stuff. It reminds me of a lot of places we have today. And the thing about it is, is that as, as Jesus is talking to this church in Laodicea, the problem was, is because of all the stuff the people had, obviously what had happened is they had forgotten about God. Uh, they depended upon their stuff. And this is what Jesus says to them uh, in chapter 3, verse 14 
of, uh, of Revelation. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, I write these words. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Uh, Jesus identifying himself. He says this in verse 15. I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. You, because of your, because so, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He's saying to the church here in Laodicea, he's saying, hey, I know what you're, you say you believe in me. You're, these are people who claim to be Christians. These are letters, or these are descriptions of churches. So keep that in mind. People who claim to be Christians. He says, I know you claim to believe in me, but I don't see it in the way you live. You're not just simply cold. You just don't turn away from me, but neither are you hot or neither you're in fire from me and following me. And so he says, you're lukewarm. And because of that, what Jesus says, what it does for me, it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the word there, the Greek word spit is the word emio. And that word emio is kind of an interesting word because it means to spew, to spit, or to vomit. I'm just quoting scripture here, okay? And the word is so is so strong that those of you who have little kids or had little kids, you, you can relate to this word. You know what projectile vomiting is? It's really nasty, you know? It's like, and it goes everywhere. I mean, it's, it's kind of that strong of a word there. It really is. About what it, what, how, how God is, is responds to this, how Jesus responds to this church because of their, they're neither hot, they're neither cold, they're kind of lukewarm, they're kind of like going through the motions. He's saying, he's saying, you know, I want to just throw up. I want to throw up. That's what it makes God want to do. He says, I can't stomach you. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about this thing, what Jesus says and how it, how it, how it deals with us. Because he says you can't be, in a real sense here, very clearly, I think he says you can't be lukewarm. You can't be lukewarm. You know, you know what an oxymoron is? Everybody know what an oxymoron is? It's two words put together that really shouldn't go together. Words like jumbo shrimp. Now think of that, you know, jumbo shrimp. The two words that never should go together. How do you be jumbo and a shrimp at the same time? I don't know. Or government efficiency. Okay, you know, two words that never go together. So we have those words. But there's another word, there's this other phrase, lukewarm Christian. What Jesus is saying here to us clearly in, in this passage, he's saying to us, hey, lukewarm and Christian are oxymorons. They should never go together. Matter of fact, it's not just something I'm neutral about. It makes me sick when I see that you're neither hot nor cold, that you're just kind of lukewarm. You're kind of going through the motions. See, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be one of his, it's, uh, he is, it's to die to ourself and to live. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you Luke 14, verses 25 through 35, which says basically we need to hate our mothers, our fathers, our brothers and sisters and everything else. And we talked about that. But it's saying that we have to have a different level of love for God than we have for everybody else. That's what he was saying. Literally, he's not really saying we're supposed to hate them, but he said the level of love that we have for God is so far above the level we have for everybody else that it almost seems like hate. And so here Jesus is describing the, this relationship that we have between between him and us. And, and when we call ourselves Christians, 
Can we be lukewarm? So what is a lukewarm Christian? I love Francis Chan. Francis Chan is one of my favorite uh, writers and speakers. I love to hear him speak. His books are a little harder to read sometimes. But uh, one of his books called Crazy Love describes what a lukewarm Christian is. He gives a whole bunch of descriptors about what a lukewarm Christian is. And I just want to give you some of the things he shared. What does a lukewarm Christian look like? Those who claim to be Christians but are lukewarm. Number one, it says that lukewarm Christians are those who crave acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. They just want to fit in. They just want people to like them. They, they, they want to blend in. They don't want to cause any kind of trouble. They don't want to be a religious fanatic because people might not, may not be accepting of them. Even though Jesus said this, he says, Woe to you when all men think well of you. That's what Jesus said. Woe to you when all men think well of you. Basically saying, if everybody thinks you're great and perfect, then you probably are not real close to Jesus. Because you're, you're considered kind of fanatical sometimes. So lukewarm Christians crave acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. Number two, uh, lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith in Christ. And, and I begin to think about this, and really it's understandable because the bottom line is, is that really pe- a lot of people who are lukewarm Christians really don't believe that Jesus is necessary for salvation. I mean, I've heard him say things like, well, you know, my Uncle Joe, he was a great guy. He's probably going to get to heaven. That's not biblical. But the issue is, is that we have this, you know, if it's not, if Jesus is not important, then, then why share Jesus? But you know that Jesus also said, if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. I'm not making this up, folks. It's right in Scripture. Read it. The issue is, is that Francis Chan is talking about it. He says, you know, people who are lukewarm rarely share their faith because it's really not as important to them. They hope that maybe their life, just by living the Christian life, going to church every once in a while, will occasionally be a witness to other people, but they really rarely share their faith. Number three, he says this, that lukewarm Christians do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt. They do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt. And it almost becomes an art form for them. It might include going to church once a month, but they they come in late. They sit on the back row. They don't give. They leave early, and they never engage. But it does does make them feel a little bit better about themselves. And, And so by going to church, and they might pray every once in a while. And when they pray every once in a while, it might make them feel a little bit better about themselves. Or maybe at Christmas when there's a need, they may give $20 to feed a hungry kid or something and pat themselves on the back to make themselves feel better. But they don't, they don't want to change anything about who they are. And so they do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt. A fourth thing that uh, Luke, the uh, descriptor of lukewarm Christians is they gauge their morality by comparing themselves to others. <laughs> I want to tell you that that's always a winner for you. Because you're always going to find somebody that's not as good as you are. And you can always find somebody that's not as good as you are. Not dealing with biblical descriptors, but it's, it's, we gauge their morality by comparing ourselves to others. I'm not, you know, we say, I'm not that bad of a person. Or, or uh, I, I may not be any Mother Teresa, but, you know, compared to them, I mean, what's the big deal? They gauge the morality by comparing themselves to others. Another thing about uh, lukewarm Christians is they want to be saved from the penalty of sin without ever changing their lives. Oh, God, forgive me. 
But I really don't intend to really change anything. I want enough of you to be okay with you, but not enough to really change anything about me. I want enough of you to go to heaven, but I don't want so much that you make me different or weird or unusual compared to the rest of the world. The sixth thing that uh, Francis Chan says is that lukewarm Christians only turn to God when they're in a bind. When they're in a bind. I mean, you know... Because they believe, they do believe in God, but God becomes a tool in the toolbox. And when the, you know, economy gets tough, you pull out the God tool. Or when your marriage is going down the drain, you pull out the God tool to fix your marriage. Or when you're sick, you pull out the God tool. But when everything is okay, God really doesn't even function in your life at all. In the lukewarm Christian's life. A seventh thing is this. That lukewarm Christians give whenever it doesn't hinder their standard of living. They'll say, well, I'll give, but, you know, the lukewarm Christian, this is a sad thing. There's studies that show, and I didn't realize this till recently, there's studies that show that the average non-Christian gives slightly more to charity than the average Christian. Do you know that? That should not be so. I'm not talking about, and I'm talking about everything goes to the church and everything else. Did the average non-Christian get slightly more in America than non-Christian, than Christians do? You know, we, we give, the, the, the lukewarm Christians will give every now and then as long as it doesn't hinder their style or their standard of living because, you know, I've got to have the nice cars, I've got to have the big houses, I've got to have everything that, you know, that I think I've got to have. But I don't want to sacrifice anything, you know, or change anything about anything. I had a great conversation uh, last week with one of our members who grew up in, she grew up on a mission field in Africa. I thought it was a great conversation. I so much appreciate this young lady. And she was sharing about how when growing up in Africa, you have a totally different mindset about what's important and what's not important. She says, so often in America, and it drives her crazy, and it drives me crazy, and I hope it drives you crazy, that what we think we need versus what we really need is miles apart. Miles apart. But the, one of the things about lukewarm Christians and describing them is, you know, they don't ever sacrifice anything because they simply want to focus on themselves. Another thing about lukewarm Christians is This is they're not much different than the rest of the world. They look the same. They talk the same. They cuss the same. They dress the same. They educate their kids the same way. They have the same morals. They're entertained by the same things that non-Christians are entertained by. They get divorced just as much as non-Christians because they're simply not that much different than anyone else. That's the statistical fact. And number nine, they want the benefits of what Christ did without conforming to who he is. See, that's the real heart of it. The real heart of it is, that's the root of it. Give me all the good stuff, but I don't want to become like him. You know, you know, like, like Chris on the, on the swim team up here, you know? He wanted to be on the swim team, but he didn't want to do any of the work. Any of the practice, anything. You know, we want the benefits without doing anything. That's what we call a practical atheist. 
I say I believe in God, but I don't do anything that would identify me with Christ in any way. Believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. And you know what? Going back to what it says in, in Revelation 3, I think practical atheists and lukewarm Christians almost the exact same thing here. And what does Jesus say that lukewarm Christianity is all about? What does it make God like? He wants to throw up. And I ask myself that, and I and I, and I begin to you know examine because when I look at Scripture, I just don't. I first have to filter it through my life, and I have to ask myself, you know, what is it about this that God has convicted me of? And I began to realize, you know, how easy it has become over the years to be a full-time pastor and a part-time Christian. How easy it is to spend all my time and every week, you know, studying the Bible to be a pastor, but not studying Scripture or praying because I want to just have a relationship with God. I mean, we as pastors can literally convince ourselves that we're doing God, that we really have a great relationship with God because we're always, I'm always studying the Scripture. All the time. But most of the time, it's to prepare for a sermon or to teach something. That's not about building a relationship with God. It's not about information. And so it's real easy to fall into that trap to kind of become lukewarm in my relationship with God. And at some level, probably many of you can relate. I mean, you know, you, you, some of you, because you've got little kids and you, you're you have a relationship with God, but you look at yourself and go, I'm a, I'm a full-time mom, but a part-time follower of Christ because I know little kids take a lot of time, right? I vaguely remember that. No, I, I remember that a lot because we have, we have grandkids now. And, you know, the, I've told you this before, the great kid thing about grandkids, you know, Friday, our daughter, son-in-law, bring them by. We keep them all day. You know what the good thing is? We can love them, spoil them, and send them home. And we don't have to stay up sleepless nights, night after night after night. It's tough. And you can find yourself being a full-time, even though you, you started off wanting to be committed to Christ, but you start off and you find yourself as a full-time mom, but a part-time Christian. Or many of you guys, I mean, I mean, you know, the thing is, you can become a full-time business guy, and you started off wanting to really serve Christ, and, but you find yourself in, in a sense that you all you do is, is you work, 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 work. It's all about your business, and you become a part-time Christian, a part-time follower of Christ. And I think God describes that as lukewarm. You know, it, it, either hot or cold. Don't don't be in between. So when I read about the church at Laodicea here in Revelation, I think of us. I think of us because, you know, this was a a wealthy group of people. But because of all their stuff and because of all the things that were going on, they had kind of like started depending upon all their stuff and had kind of forgotten about God. Their relationship with God. They'd become lukewarm. I mean, I don't know where they started, but I know where they are when Jesus describes them here. Because I think it's really easy in America to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in God. Really easy. We're not persecuted. I mean, if if you came today and said, I want to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, no one probably would persecute you, right? You might get some people snicker. Oh, yeah, Jesus, there's a Jesus freak. You know, look at him. But that's that's about as bad as it would get. It's easy to say, I believe in God. 
and not be really committed to God. If you want to see places where people are on fire for God, hot for God, what you have to do is you have to go to places where people, if they accept Christ, are persecuted. Whether you got to be either hot or cold, you can't be any, anywhere in between. If you want to see Christians that are hot for God, go to China right now. You know that there are more, they believe because it's kind of like underground. You can't really be a believer in China without being, uh, you know, outwardly. They, there's a belief now because of the underground church and the commitment level that there's probably more Christians, committed Christians in China than there is in the United States. But they can't let people know that. Or go to one of the countries like Indonesia. Or some other countries around the world where you can't even, missionaries can't even go into those places and, and, and find out what, what's going on with those people. I mean, you can't be lukewarm in an environment like that. Indifferent. And I think one of the reasons it's hard to be on fire in America is because it's so easy. It's so easy. Just so easy to believe without kind of like really committing ourselves to God fully. Like he wants us to. And he describes it in scripture. Because we're so wealthy. And some of you are sitting here going like, you don't know that. I'm not, we're not wealthy. Let me take a survey real quick. It's not about income. How many of you drove to church today in a car? Okay, draw your hand. Anybody walk? I don't see any hands. If you drove today to church in a car, if you have a car in your family, you're in the top 3% of wealth in the world. Top 3%. Do you know that? Of all the people in the world. So you consider that wealthy? If you're in the top 3%? We're not in the top one, I know. But we are in the top three. And the issue is, for most of us, is because of that, we don't think of ourselves as being rich. But we, basically, very few of us have to go home and worry about what we're going to eat for lunch today. We don't have to worry about any of those things. We have everything that we need. And this is what Jesus was saying to the Laodiceans. He says this in verse 17, further and a little, little further along. He says this to the Laodiceans. He says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth. And I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying you, you, know, you got all this stuff and you think that everything's cool with you because you got all this stuff and you're, you're comfortable. But he said, really, spiritually... You're not, you're not alright at all. He says what you are. He says you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And so when I look at this, I ask this question. This is, has to be a hard question we have to ask ourselves. I had to ask myself, is there such a thing as a lukewarm Christian? Can these words go together? I don't know. You tell me. What's it say in scripture here? I mean, does it sound like Jesus is talking to spirit-filled Christians here? Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And then a couple of verses later, this is what he says. And this kind of, to me, ties it together. Then he says this. He gives us the scripture in verse 20. He says, here I am, he says. And he's talking in the same group of people, this 
People who think they're wealthy, who think that have everything they need, but he says that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 20, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It sounds like to me what he's saying, that you guys are outside the door and you're still knocking on the door. You're not quite even there yet. You think everything's good because you maybe go to church. Or maybe you prayed a prayer. Or you did that, but but I'm still knocking because you haven't realized your spiritual condition. Because everything is too good for you. And you've got it going well. And, and what he's saying here is you can't be half-hearted. To be anything less than fully committed, he says, is to be untrue to who he is. And who is he? Who is, who is Jesus? I, I don't know who your Jesus is that you follow, but I can tell you who my Jesus is. My God is. The Bible says he's the beginning and he's the end. He's the first and the last. He's the truth and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the good shepherd. He, he's the one who was humble enough to come in into this world riding on a donkey. And yet when the Bible says when he returns, he will ride in on a white horse. And on his thigh, the Bible says, will be written the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. And it says out of his mouth will be a sword which will, which will judge the nations. That's a descriptor of the power of who God is, who Jesus is. The Bible says he's the one who is without sin. He was born in a cave so that no one would ever feel too low to come to him. And yet he looked at the religious people and said, you're a brood of vipers. You don't get it. And it says he looked at sinners and he said, I love you, even though we didn't deserve it. He was the one who was beaten and bled and suffered and died and rose again so that we could have life. And when you come to him and when you recognize for that which is You've been forgiven. It changes everything about you. You cannot be the same. You know, by His power, it says in Scripture that we've been set free. By His power, we've been forgiven. And all of a sudden, you can't be lukewarm if you know that kind of a God. You have to tell people about Him. Because of what he's done in your life, you can't contain it. You can't keep it to yourself. You're not that selfish because you've been changed by him and you want others to know because you're no longer thinking about what other people think because now you're living for an audience of one. Him. And he's not just your Savior because just being your Savior, that's self-centered. He's your Lord. The king of kings of your life. And you're living for him. And all of a sudden this world is no longer your home. And you realize the things of this world will burn away. And you're not that dumb to sell out for things that will not last. And you know that he's the kind of God. He's the kind of Jesus who there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you hate to disappoint him. And you hate to live in that low life of sin that you used to live in. And because of that, not because you are saved by those things, but because you know who he is and you've had that experience with him, you're different than you've ever been. And I just have to tell you this. My heart aches for those who don't know him that way. really do. Those who think they've got enough of Christ to satisfy, but not enough to change. 
Because the Bible says clearly here that being half-hearted doesn't work. It says it makes God sick. Maybe the reason, maybe the reason you're not fully committed to God is because you really don't know Him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.